Welcome to Do Theology, where we keep doctrine in its place. It's the holiday season, and families all across the world will be gathering together and inevitably engaging in arguments over politics and religion. Sometimes these conversations are between believers and unbelievers, but today we're not going to talk about that. Today we want to help you think through how we, as Christians, can and even should disagree with other Christians on matters of doctrine and conviction without condemning one another. Disciples of Jesus Christ are called to be marked by love. Therefore, we must learn to disagree with each other well. We'll talk about that on the other side of the music. Neither Bethel nor Hillsong meet the biblical definition of a true church. Did you know that Jesus was born again? Is his view heretical? If it isn't, then there's no such thing as heresy. It's not just a black and white issue. There's an issue, there's a question of moderation and how damaging and how harmful things are. Not every act of divine revelation is equal in authority. Angelic forces, angelic reinforcement. I mean, it's, it's hard to even respond to that, isn't it? It's, it's mind-numbing, it's blasphemous. When the apostles use the word atonement, they do not depict an angry God. It's cryptic, it's watered down, it has nothing to do with the judicial aspect of the Christian gospel. The most important of all doctrines is that the Bible is the word of God. They have different ideas than you do. You don't have to automatically kick them out of the kingdom. All right, welcome back to Do Theology on a day when the Babylon Bee is back on Twitter and Jordan Peterson's back on Twitter. For however long Twitter exists. I mean, you're going to listen to this episode in the future and think how silly that we thought Twitter was ever going to die. Which, or Twitter will be dead. (laughs) No. (laughs) And you know what I'm wearing today? What are you wearing today? I'm afraid to find out. Boots. I, oh, snow? Well, yeah, yeah probably you're going to get a little bit of snow today, but also just, I just don't really wear boots that often. So when I wear boots, I kind of feel like I'm a boss walking around, you know? Uh, I'm wearing flannel, and you can do, you know, tennis shoes or sneakers, whatever you want to say, with flannel. But there's something about having boots with flannel and jeans that just seems right, completes the outfit, you know? Tis the season. Yeah. So, that's not why we're here today. No, it is not. You want to get but us we started? We also know how uh, how people love our our uh, excellent <laughs> banter that we do on this program. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. So we uh, we want to discuss as as we mentioned in the intro there about how we can have disagreements with individuals on the secondary or even tertiary matters. And not jump straight to condemnation or jump straight to, you know, questioning people's salvation. Like, oh, how can you even be a Christian if you believe or you engage in such and such a type thing? How can we have these conversations without automatically jumping to those conclusions? Because the reality is, is there are, there are people who do that, right? Uh, that's This has uh, been, you know, the whole fundamentalist Christian uh, pocket of Christianity has kind of been has that reputation. Some of that reputation is earned because of the way there's been uh, that kind of level, that level of divisiveness. But is that the way it should be? And not just within fundamentalism. I mean, you walk into a room of reform bros and just say Doug Wilson, and next thing you know, there's furniture being thrown across the room, and people's hair will be on fire. So, 
Yeah. 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 There's uh, the principles. How, how do we think through those things, right? There's. Yeah. And, and you know what's really interesting? Before we get into, you know, the outline that we have, I was just having breakfast this morning uh, with a man, as you know, and we were talking through several things as we do when we get together, just meandering theological thoughts. And one of the things that came up was just how forgiving we are toward certain people in church history. And Augustine was used as the example. Like, if Augustine was around today, <laughs> we would be like, uh, <laughs> stay far away from that Looney Tune, you know. Yeah. Uh, he had some very strange thoughts. But because he lived so long ago and he's he's dead, and so we can give him the benefit of the doubt on all kinds of stuff, we can be like, oh, yeah, Augustine. Well, Thankful for and- Augustine. And it's also because we we are creatures of convenience, and we want to use them to we want to use anybody in church history to back our particular <laughs> uh, ideas to say, oh yeah, this, this was taught in church history. Just look at so and so. Yeah. Never mind all that other stuff. That's just kind of we're just gonna push all that aside. <laughs> which, <laughs> which coincidentally, you can find whatever you're looking for in church history. Uh, exactly. Yeah. So, kind of makes it an ineffective argument if you know that. But I know I know for me personally. Whenever we engage in baseball conversations, I do question your salvation based on your support of the St. Louis baseball team. But that's just, I, I guess oh, I just have Eric to grow there. So. Oh, brother. I still call you brother. And that's kind of what we're talking about. <laughs> Disagreeing without condemning. So let's uh, let's begin this conversation by laying down some principles, and this is probably going to be the bulk of the conversation, because once you get the principles that are at play or the factors that exist in these conversations, then it actually becomes simple, at least in theory, on mm-hmm. how we should be able to disagree without condemning. And of course, these principles that we're going to be discussing today come from our chart that you can find at dotheology.com slash chart. Uh, a lot of this content is going to be found in the chart, through the chart, emanating from the chart. That's where you can find that, dotheology.com slash chart. And let's begin by talking about clarity of passages versus clarity of doctrines. This is the first principle that we we want to start getting our, our arms around as we think about how we can disagree with one another without condemning each other. We know that the Bible is clear. All passages of the Bible contain a certain clarity that God baked in when he revealed to man, when he communicated to those made in his image, so that those to whom he was speaking could understand his words. So all passages of the Bible are clear in that sense. Yet, not all Christian doctrines or biblical doctrines, I guess you could say, not all of them are equally clear. So all passages are equally clear in the sense that God spoke with clarity, and he expects man to comprehend what he has said. That's why he's spoken to us. Right. Yet on the other hand, we know that there are some doctrines that we just wrestle, wrestle, wrestle with. We kind of switch our views, and we die on uh, in our lives. We, we, we come to the end, we die never having settled on some things. So uh, that that's just kind of a, a perplexing thing, isn't it? Yeah, this is, uh, in, in theological terms, this is called the perspicuity of Scripture, that Scripture is sufficiently clear that we can understand 
what the words on the page mean, right? There's there's any given passage, you can open it up and you can read the words on the page and have an understanding, right? This is why even unbelievers can write commentaries on the Greek text well, because they're just studying the words and the syntax and the grammar, and they can see what the words themselves mean. Mm-hmm. Now, the challenging thing is then, as we understand the words on the page, how that gets translated into our doctrinal formulations yeah. and our, our articulations of how it fits into the broader scheme of all the theology that is revealed throughout the different passages of Scripture. So if you look at our chart— we have a distinction between primary doctrines and secondary doctrines. And most people will have some sort of category like that in their mind. There are doctrines that are primary and doctrines that are secondary. There are not primary passages and secondary passages Mm -hmm. in Scripture. All passages are primary in the sense that they're the Word of God, and they are equally clear. So one of the things that really bothers me is when I'm talking to another Christian on a matter we disagree with, And I'll bring up a passage that supports my view, and that person will say something to the effect of, well, we have to let the clear passages interpret the obscure passages. We have to let the the plain passages determine the meaning of the the unclear passages. And I want to stop and say, well, wait a second. You're saying God revealed some passages clearly and other passages he revealed unclearly? That's not true. But but we, we sense the tension because we recognize that there are doctrines that are clear yeah. and some doctrines that aren't as clear. And then that's where the difficulty comes into play. So a very basic example is the doctrine that Jesus existed, okay? Very basic, fundamental doctrine. You probably don't even think of it as a doctrine because it's so abundantly clear in the Bible. I mean, that, there's just no way to read the Bible in a legitimate way and walk away and say, well, Jesus didn't really exist. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's clear. Versus the doctrine of the Nephilim. Who were these Nephilim that come up in the Old Testament? Well, that's a lot harder. Now, the passages about both the existence of Jesus and the Nephilim are equally comprehensible in that they are words that you can understand and, and you can comprehend the meaning. But as far as the doctrine that gets formed... That is more difficult, and and that's the language I think we need to make sure we're using when we have these disagreements with other Christians so that we're being precise here and not saying that the Bible is like schizophrenic where it says some things and then it says other things, but, but those things that you like, those are the clear things, and the things that you're freaked out by, those are the unclear things. That's not that, the way yeah. we should approach the Bible. And that's the temptation, isn't it? It can be a, such a subjective thing. Who gets to determine what's clear and what's not clear? And usually it's the things that are less clear are the things that don't fit neatly into my theological system. And we're all you know, uh, under that temptation uh, to every time we're studying the scriptures, we're all trying to fit what we're reading into our theological systems. And the temptation can be, well, this doesn't fit quite neatly, so therefore it's, it's not as clear. <laughs> but... The point of emphasis that we're trying to help us to understand, it's not the passage itself that's unclear, it's the doctrine and how it fits in with our theological understandings. That may be less clear, but the passage itself Mm -hmm. says what it says and means what it means. So what you end up with then is not clear passages interpreting unclear passages. We don't believe there are categories within Scripture of clear and unclear communication from God. But what you do end up with is... Clear doctrines help us understand the unclear doctrines. 
And we can give a couple examples of that. So for instance, Hebrews chapter 6 is infamously difficult because you read through with the clear interpretation of the passage, and you're you're reading through, and it's like, is this talking about losing salvation? Because the language that's used there kind of starts to lead us, our, our mind, in that direction. But then as you take the Bible as a whole, which we should do, you're not just looking at Hebrews when you study Hebrews. We recognize that that's the first place you look, is where how does that Hebrews passage fit within the book of Hebrews itself? But we're Christians who have the whole canon of Scripture, praise God, and so we piece it all together, and we take clearer uh, doctrines like God's election, uh, the security of the believer that that comes from election, those two things are tied, that we've been sealed until the day of redemption, that no one can snatch us out of the Father's hand, that's Ephesians 4 and John 10. So you, you have these, these clear doctrines that have emerged, and so you get a passage like this, and you're saying, I'm not 100% sure what the teaching is that Paul or whoever it was had in mind, what doctrine is being espoused here, but I know that there are guardrails up from these clearer doctrines that have been revealed in the whole of Scripture. Mm-hmm. And there's other examples like that that we could point to. I think of 1 Corinthians 15, and in that where uh, Paul is making the case about the resurrection of Christ and how that guarantees our future resurrection. Well, in the middle of all that, he makes the what can be a very perplexing statement about the res, uh, those who are baptized on behalf of the dead. What do we make of that? The words on the page are are clear. It, it says what it says. Well, how does that fit with our understanding of, of what baptism means and the purpose of baptism and, and what other passages reveal about baptism? And we could say something similar about First Peter chapter 3, where it talks about baptism now saves you. Well, we don't affirm baptismal regeneration. Well, how do we understand what Peter means in that text? The words itself are clear. Baptism now saves you, but how does that fit in with our uh, theology that mm-hmm. it seems to be very clearly taught from other passages of Scripture that are also very clear. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so we, we when we struggle to understand how the meaning of a passage fits in with the overall Christian framework that's given to us in the Bible, the, the biblical theology we get from Scripture, we can't blame the passage and say, well, that passage is just unclear. Don't don't blame the passage, okay? You can't do that. God speaks clearly. When God inspired Peter and Peter wrote, Baptism Now Saves You, he meant to write, Baptism Now Saves You. That's what God wanted to come off of his pen. Right. Now, how does that fit in the overall framework? That, that becomes difficult. And so we have to um, interpret the unclear doctrines through the lens of clear doctrines, okay? But it's never the fault of the passage, of the Scripture right. itself. The inspired Word of God is equally clear throughout. Yes. So that's factor number one to have in your mind when it comes to disagreements with other Christians. Factor number two is truth versus convictions. So, Ken, what's the difference between a truth and a conviction, and how does that play out? So there are things that, that God has clearly revealed, and now as we begin to get into our the, the passages themselves and then the doctrines that are clearly revealed, that are true abundantly, uh, it, is, it is so clear that it cannot be denied by any, by any faithful hermeneutic that seeks to uphold the authority and the clarity and the, um, the sufficiency of God's Word. 
that's truth, and it, it is true for all believers of all ages across all cultures. Everyone must affirm these things. Then there are other things that, that as we study the scriptures that we may come to convictions on, but, they're th- that the, but they are convictions about particular things that are perhaps they could be an application of the truth. It could be a, uh, a particular understanding of a doctrine in particular that is less clear than the clearer doctrines. It could be a whole variety of different things. Um, we, we've talked before about the what the dividing line is between the first and the second column about you know the issue of hermeneutics. Truth is objective for all people, whereas the convictions are. Again, it could be a, it could be a theological issue of what we believe. It could be a practical issue about how we live it out. Um, I don't know if we want to get into examples or if we want to break down that idea more. Yeah, I mean, and, and again, I think it's one of those things, too, that, well, I shouldn't say I think, I know. It's one of those things that subconsciously, all Christians kind of know this. I mean, we we don't, as Baptists, we don't show up on Sunday mornings to a Presbyterian church with uh, bullhorns and sandwich board signs saying, you're going to hell, you're baptizing babies, you're going to hell— I, now I'm assuming most Baptists don't do that. Maybe there are some, and uh, and depending on which Presbyterian church you're going to and doing that, you could be right for other reasons that they're going to hell. But the uh, the reality is, we know that there are things that are secondary in nature. There are brothers and sisters in Christ who we disagree with on these issues, but when it comes to matters of primary doctrine, objective truth that transcends hermeneutics in the Word of God. We, we agree on those things, and we have mm-hmm. that agreement because God has revealed those doctrines so clearly, okay? That's why we have Christian agreement on those, is because God has revealed them to his people in such a way that we don't chalk them up to—we uh, don't disagree with them and chalk it up to hermeneutics, or we don't disagree with it—disagree with each other and then chalk it up to, um, you know, personal conviction, anything like that. This is these are word defined doctrines that are clear in the Bible and and we agree across denominational lines. But then you get into the more conviction side of things, and those are doctrines that are subject to hermeneutics, or you, you go over into the doubtful things area, the mm-hmm. matters of opinion, and that's more of a spirit led issue, uh, your upbringing plays into it, and tradition, where you just have a personal conviction about it. And so there's a there's a distinction between objective truth and personal conviction, and that has to be in our minds, too, when we're disagreeing with other Christians. Yeah, and so when it comes to those things that are objective, word-defined, like the, the Scriptures define for us exactly what we are to believe on those particular things— that are true across all cultures, across all ages, for all believers. There's no freedom to deviate on those things, right? Those things are rock solid. There's no, it's not okay for you to say, well, you know, I actually am not convinced that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Like, no, you you, you don't have that freedom, right? That's you can't right. say that. You don't have the freedom to deviate from that clearly taught and clearly revealed truth about Jesus Christ. There are other things, though, that you do have freedom to deviate from where... To deviate from your own standard. 
right? Or or because yes. we're not talking about deviating from a clear teaching of the Word of God. You're never yeah. free to do that, but you're free to deviate deviate from, from one another. Yes, there you go. Yeah, in, in how in how it gets in how it plays itself out. Where as we're we we're developing convictions as we're studying the Word, um, you know, if it's in the secondary column, there's a degree of freedom to come to convictions. You know, you use the illustration of baptism. Convictionally, I'm a Baptist. Like I, I, that's just what I see in the scriptures. That's my conviction. Well, there's a certain degree of freedom, though, of uh, freedom of conscience for an individual who comes to the conviction that infant baptism is a thing. I'm, I, I think they're wrong, but because of the, the the way they're getting to that conclusion, there's a certain degree of freedom of conscience for them to embrace that. Now, one of us is wrong, but. Or, or both are wrong somehow. Or both are wrong. That's a, <laughs> somehow right. How does that work? <laughs> You're only supposed and to yet, dogs. We, we were both wrong. We were thinking it was humans the whole time. Oh man, alas, um, alas, e. <laughs> I have successfully derailed Ken. Yes, my, my train of thought is gone. So that's the secondary column, trying to bring this back on track. In the third column, it might be even just a practical matter of, you know, maybe it's the kind of media that you enjoy, like the kind of movies you watch or the kind of, you know, there's there's clear things in Scripture that tell us, you know, flee sexual immorality and flee, uh, you know, all those sorts of things. But there is freedom when it comes to certain media of, okay, am I, you know, as we were talking beforehand, Jeremy used the example of, are you free to watch PG-13 movie or R-rated movies? Well, different Christians are going to come to different convictions on that. Even though they have some things in them that are sexually immoral that we wouldn't agree with, even if it's just, I don't know, something that to the world would be almost laughable, um, you know, for, but, but like, you know, we look at it and we know, we know that it's not appropriate. What they're showing is sinful, but we, we are able to like, look past it but some christians aren't able to look past it right but there it does come a point where a clear line does get crossed yes. right where, where we move from well I'm, I'm not sure about this you know there are our convictions our our consciences are at different places on some of these things but then there's there's a line that's crossed where it's like this is this is clearly pornographic mm-hmm. right right this is not okay for anyone under any circumstances this is this is sexually immoral from that standpoint and that's where, again, where that line is crossed, there's no freedom in those areas. We, we don't have the freedom to say, well, you know, maybe I'm just, I'm just watching it for the story. I'm not, I'm not yeah. tempted by that sort of thing. It's like, um, I, I don't believe you. <laughs> I got the OnlyFans account for the emotional friendship relationship that I get. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's $9.99 a month, but you can't beat the friendship. Yeah. No, I'm... I, I just, I don't believe you. Like, I just, I just don't believe you. So there's, there's areas where there's not those kinds of freedom. But then yep. as you back away from that line, different believers are going to come to different convictions on how, uh, on the kinds of media that they can consume. And there is a degree of freedom with that. Similar to truth versus convictions is principles versus methods. And uh, this is something I thought at one point maybe we could do a whole episode about, but I think it Mm. works just to talk about it here. Um, There are principles that we have as Christians that we share, uh, but the methods for how those principles are to be played out, how we apply those principles to our lives, to our churches, to our homes, those are just going to vary. So it's the 
the what we should be doing or believing or thinking versus how we are to go about doing it. The what versus the how is the principle versus the method. It's the you know interpretation or the understanding of something that's taught in Scripture versus the application of, mm-hmm. of that thing. And this is a very common uh, topic that gets talked about in Christian churches. It should be probably more common, is that we, we have these principles we agree on, but we're going to disagree on the application of those principles, which is very important when we're talking to other Christians with whom we disagree on mm-hmm. a matter of uh, either behavior or, or belief. We have to be able to distinguish between truth and convictions and principles and methods. So like truth, principles are fixed. Mm-hmm. Um, like convictions, methoded, methods, Methodists, Methodists. <laughs> <laughs> methods, uh, they, they move, they change, they evolve. We, we thought one way 10 years ago, now we think another way. This was Explains my approach. a lot about the Methodists, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, everything is a method uh, for a Methodist, right? Uh, everything's movable. <clears throat> but, uh, you know, you, you think back to, if you've been a Christian for some time, you think back to certain things that you thought and did 10 years ago, or maybe some of you 20, 30, 40 years ago, versus how you are now. Likely, there are several areas where you've changed a bit. You've developed stronger convictions. You used to think that this approach to apologetics was right, and now you're more this way, you know, or you had this view of the end times, and now you're more like this. And uh, you used to feel freedom to, to do such and such on a Friday night, and, well, now you don't anymore. Those things all change because those are methods. They're not fixed, objective truths. Yeah, and this, again, you used several possible ways that that can play out. You know, I, even thinking about the concept of, of our philosophy of ministry, you know, just how we do church. There are certain principles about how church, what should happen at a church that are fixed, right? These are, these are objective, these are uh, word-defined, these are, it's right there in the text, things like... Uh, Preach the word, right? Pastors ought to be, when they're standing in the pulpit on a Sunday morning, they ought to be proclaiming the word of God. Churches should be places where the word of God is proclaimed. That is the principle. That is the truth. It's fixed. Now, how do you do that? Do you do a sequential expository sermon? Or do you do some kind of topical message that's still drawn from the word of God and exposits the text on a particular topic? Uh, if you were to do it sequentially, expositionally, do you do a whole chapter at a time? Do you do a paragraph at a time? Do you do just one verse or a phrase of one verse? Uh, what style of preaching are you going to do? Are you are you more of a you know a, more of a charismatic personality, or are you just more of a I'm just going to get up there, I'm just going to read my manuscript kind of person? There's freedom mm-hmm. with how you go about doing that. But the principle, the word of God must be proclaimed, that doesn't move. That stays fixed. So entering into, say, that kind of disagreement, I think topical versus expositional is probably a pretty, you know, hot button issue for a lot mm-hmm. of our listeners who are familiar with, you know, good preaching. It's like, well, no one can sit under topical preaching uh, for very long, right? Uh, well, the first thing you have to ask is, is this a principle issue or a methodological issue? 
Mm-hmm. Now, I totally agree. If someone is just a topical preacher and you get up there and it's 10 minutes into the sermon, we finally get to a verse and the verse is just like mentioned and then it moves on and it's all like philosophical or self-help kind of stuff for the rest of the sermon and that's it. That's a principal violation. That person's no longer right. preaching the word. Right. Yet there are biblical ways of doing topical preaching, preaching the word, putting the Bible front and center, upholding scripture, the doctrine of sola scriptura through topical preaching. It's not what I choose to do most of the time. I mean, I'm 80 to 90% expositional in my preaching. Um, we do short topical series every now and then. So, uh, well, even if I could just jump yeah. in, even just to refine it, there's a way to do uh, expository topical sermons, right? Yeah. Where, where it's you're still expositing texts, but it's all centered around a topic. It's just not a sequential moving through. Mm-hmm. So, it's not even you're not even necessarily pitting topical versus expositional, but is it just is it sequential or is it topical? Yeah, you know that that can be done that way. So if if an, <clears throat> if a preacher is going more topical than you would be comfortable with, and you tell somebody else, like, uh, yeah, he's a topical, he's a topical guy, and you're basically saying that as a pejorative, you know, mm-hmm. it's just, you're putting him down, he's he's going against a principle of our faith, is basically what you're saying. Be very careful, because is he? Right. Is he really going against the principle of our faith, or is he just doing it different than you would do it? Got to think about that. Yes. Uh, methods of evangelism, of course, is another one. Uh, yeah. I mean, you take take a church of 50 people. How many different methods of evangelism are you going to have in there? Probably 50, close to 50. A- everyone tends to do that quite a bit differently. And there are some people, maybe you've come across them in all of your evangelistic efforts, Ken, some people who probably look down on other people, like they're the only ones evangelizing the right way and true Christians would be doing it my way. Um they would be out here yeah. doing this thing that I am doing, and if they're not, then that means they just don't get it. Some of those people don't have churches, and there's a reason for that. <laughs> they started their is, own, and they're waiting on more members, right? It's this whole conversation that's a reason why, right? This uh, there's um, there's a failure to failure to discern issues and have a framework like the chart to help them think through how to have those kinds of disagreements. Yeah, if you can't separate methods from principles, if you can't separate convictions from truth, if you can't separate, you know, these things we've been talking about, you're going to end up having a graceless interaction toward other Christians every time Mm -hmm. because there is no room for grace. If there is no such thing as a, a subjective method or a subjective conviction, then everything is objective based on how you see it. And there's no grace. Mm. And that's a miserable existence. Indeed. So now that that brings us to uh, what the episode is about, disagreeing <laughs> without condemning. So now as we think about Christians we disagree with, how do these factors that we just talked about serve as guardrails in keeping us from condemning other people? I think it starts with you know, there's a reason why we started with the principles and the things that we just laid out, right? Like that's we got to start there and recognize, hey, that there are these levels, uh, level of differences in the clarity of certain doctrines. There, uh, that those sorts of things exist. There's a difference between objective truth and convictional application of that truth. Just recognizing that 
should be a great starting place for us as we think and, and begin to enter into conversations that can just kind of have in our minds when we do encounter someone that we disagree with. Is this something that would need to be rebuked or is this something that we can have a brotherly conversation about without, you know, jumping down somebody's throat about these things? Um, Take uh, the, the Calvinism debate, uh, the, the sovereignty of God versus human responsibility. If you don't understand the difference between the clarity of passages of Scripture versus the clarity of doctrines, you know, you're going to have your view, especially if you're a cage-stage Calvinist, that they're probably the most guilty of this, okay? And uh, Ken and I are more on the Calvinistic side than not, okay? So we're, we're picking on our own team in, in a way here. But uh, without that distinction in mind, the cage-stage Calvinist can say, well, look, this doctrine is, uh, or this this doctrine is just what the Word says. Look, th- this is just what it all says. And, and you, you have your passages memorized that you go to, one passage to the next, to the next, to the next, and you say, look, this is just what the Bible says. And then someone comes up to you who is not a Calvinist, and that person has their own passages memorized, believe it or not, you know? <laughs> there are uh, proof texts for that, too. And that person comes up and says, no, this is just what the Bible says. Look, da, 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 da. And it's just like, the, you can't disagree because I look at my proof text. But mm-hmm. the other side is saying that too. And so what you have to do is come to this place where you recognize, look, okay, this doctrine isn't as clear as some other doctrines. And so I have to come to a place where I'm giving my brother grace and I'm giving myself room to grow and develop too, because this doctrine just isn't as clear as the deity of the Holy Spirit is in Scripture. And, and that is very difficult for a lot of people. It takes humility, especially when you're excited about something and you've discovered it and you feel like it clicks and you now have the Bible figured out on that subject. It's really easy to get puffed up. Your head's so stinking yeah. big you can't even fit in your car. And you just think, this is, I got it. Well, you have to humble yourself and realize, wait a second, okay, there are certain aspects here that just aren't as clear as I thought they were, and I've got to give everybody room. And that pride is such a sneaky thing, too, isn't it, where we we can can, uh, get puffed up on our own pride without even realizing it until you end up in in some kind of, you know, brawl match about (laughs) issues of theology and such. Uh, But yeah, it it really does have to be something we have to be on guard about within our own hearts. you know, I used to, uh, I used to really have issues with with certain individuals and their their uh, arrogance in some a- aspects of theology. It would bother me so much, especially because, if, from my perspective, if if that was their theology, it really ought to be a source of of humbling, right? Where if if we have nothing apart from the grace and the gift of God, then this should be a humbling thing for us, and yet. Here we are. Well, I've got, I got my theology all figured out. You know, well, hold on a second there. You know, let's 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 approach this with a little more humility. Uh, we are not omniscient in areas of theology. We just aren't. Mm-hmm. Uh, every system has to have some level of tension within it. And usually, when we're trying to explain away the tensions, that's when we're starting to get off into heresy land, anyway. Yeah. But that's a whole nother discussion <laughs> for another time. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. But, there, yeah that, that's a great word to bring up the tension. Yes. You have to hold seemingly paradoxical truths in tension. 
mm-hmm. where where God has left loose ends, it's not your job to tie them up. And, and it's very try. It's, it's very tempting yeah. to do that, isn't it? And then we try and we get them all tied up, and then we that's where the pride really can begin to set in. Uh, or it, it kind of makes me wonder if the reason why some of those tensions exist and God hasn't revealed how all those things get tied up neatly is to keep us humble, to recognize that we can't get to a place of theological omniscience. You know, we're we're having to uh, submit to submit to the Word of God and submit to the tension that's there. It, now, there are perhaps some people listening who are saying, yeah, but... I think that happens a lot. I, I, I think I prob- so. I probably do that a lot with the podcast oh, I, I do listen it all to. the time. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I hear you, but... All right, so some people I do are when listening. I hear you talk all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Rightfully so. So some people are listening and saying, yeah, but there are passages that you have to deal with that certain theological systems just don't deal with very well, especially when you feel like it's a, there are a large amount of passages here uh, that just aren't being dealt with by, you know, my brother, my sister on the other side of the theological aisle on this issue. Mm-hmm. And, and I do feel a responsibility to confront them on this. Are you saying I shouldn't confront them on this? Well, well no, we're not saying that at all. I, Ken and I have said repeatedly on this podcast, just because something is secondary or a doubtful thing, a matter of opinion, that doesn't mean shut up about it. That is mm-hmm. not what that means. Okay. We believe, as Proverbs says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, and that pertains to matters of secondary doctrine. We we need to learn to talk about these things and to disagree well as we talk about them, because through our disagreements, God is at work. I yeah. I, I, I truly believe that, and um, and what? How about this? Uh, do I have uh, audio sharing abilities? Here, Kenny, in our in our in our thing. Yes, yes. I, uh, <laughs> I want to uh, play a clip. This is from it's a, a section from an episode. The episode was titled "Does God Desire Doctrinal Differences?" <clears throat> now, there's a eyebrow raising, um, a, an eyebrow raising title. I think. Does God desire doctrinal differences? Well, we took out of that episode a clip that we uh, made a standalone clip on YouTube. It's four and a half minutes titled Three Ways That God Uses Our Theological Disagreements. So I think it would be appropriate to play that. And we do see some very clear ways that God has used our differences for good. Uh, You, in our show notes here, you've listed off a few reasons. You want to walk through those? Yeah, I was just thinking about some of the things that how, why is this diversity actually good? How has God used this? Number one, I think it drives us to a greater study of God's word. Totally does. If I'm coming along and I think, okay, believer's baptism, and I've got my Presbyterian brother who comes along and says, hey, are you baptizing those babies? <laughs> like, uh, what are you talking about, bro? You know, well, in the word of God, this, 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 and now I've got to study it out and I've got to seek it out yeah. myself. I've got to, I've, you know, there's a Latin phrase, ad fontes, to the sources. I've got to go yes. back to the text. Isaiah 820, to the testimony, to the law. What does the word of God say? Mm-hmm. It drives us to a greater dependence, a greater study, a greater appreciation for what God has given to us just so that we can develop our firm convictions and conclusions as a result of having been challenged and have to defend what I believe Scripture says. Iron can't sharpen iron if there is no disagreement or confrontation, right? Yeah. That's, I mean, the reason why we have iron sharpening iron is because there is some sort of confrontation happening, and God even allows that to happen in the realm of doctrine. And it is good for us. We do. We we have to defend <laughs> what we believe from the Word of God 
and it's a very good practice. Even though it's uncomfortable a lot mm -hmm. of times, it's good for us. Yes. Second thing is that it teaches us some of the beauty, I think, that we have in unity in the midst of diversity. Mm -hmm. You know, we have a, an incredible God who is triune in nature, right? One God, and yet there are three persons. Well, how does that work? How does there unity and diversity? We don't fully know, but there's beauty in it. There's majesty in it. There's glory in it. And now within God's church, I'm not saying that we are necessarily like the Trinity exactly in this yeah. way. I'm not trying to draw too close of a parallel, but there is beauty in diversity when, when brothers and sisters can get along and can love one another and, and serve one another, despite there being some differences, I think that's a beautiful thing. And yes. it shows the beauty of the gospel. It shows the beauty of what God is doing amongst his people. Yes. We like to think sometimes that God only uses people exactly like us. Yeah. <laughs> just, oh, we're, just, so, we're so prideful. Just crack open a church history book. Yeah, right. Crack open Fox's mm -hmm. Book of Martyrs. Mm -hmm. You know, re, just just start reading some of those resources that have been preserved. Or, or tell you what, go listen to some of the Revive Thoughts episodes. There you from, go. From, Brothers from, over at Revive Thoughts. Yeah. Revive to those those guys, some of the some of the stuff that the sermons that they've resurrected and some of the church history connected with that. These are people from very different church traditions and yet God has used them powerfully. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. Beauty in diversity. Yes. The last thing that, that I came up with, and there's probably more things that, oh, totally. that, are, yeah. that but this is the uh, last thing for us today. I think it shows us the greatness and the glory of God and his mercy to save unto himself people who are just plain wrong. Hmm. You know, like those Presbyterians not, I mentioned earlier. Yeah, not us. <laughs> not us. <laughs> <laughs> How amazing that God would save and use and work through people who have wrong views of certain doctrine. That that tells us so much about the nature of God and character mm -hmm. of God that he would do such a thing, um, that he would do an, an amazing work through people who maybe in the secondary column of doctrine are off on half the things. And that could be me and you. I mean, it, yeah. we have a, we have a conviction now. Don't, don't hear me wrong. We've studied the, a lot of issues and we have a firm conviction, but we recognize we could still be wrong about those mm -hmm. in the secondary realm. And the fact that, we could very well be wrong on many of the things we believe in that, that area. And he's still using us for his glory. What a patient and gracious and merciful God we serve. Amen. Praise him. It's incredible. Wow. All right. Sounds like that was a good episode. Yeah. What do you, what do you think about that? Hearing it again, ha having not heard it for months. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a good source of uh, pride and self self uh, puffing upness. Like, oh yeah, those two guys they they really <laughs> sounded like they were talking about some good stuff back then. <laughs> yeah. Well, the points still stand. I think we made some yes. good points there. Um, I, I yeah, absolutely. That that should be humbling points, right? That that God God uses us despite our lack of perfections. Mm -hmm. And I really do think the key. Is, is love. I mean, like that's a novel idea. Uh, Christian love is the solution for Christians getting along with one another, uh, disagreeing without condemning. We are to be marked by our love. I, I recently read a little book by Francis Schaeffer titled The Mark of the Christian or The Mark of the True Christian, something like that. And it's about love. Love is the mark of the Christian. And how he really dwelt on this for a while, that God gives the world a sign. Hmm. John 13, by this, the, they will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That the world, even in its fallen, depraved state, it can look at us and see if there's something different 
if there's true, genuine, supernatural love among us. And when we don't have that, and we're just like everybody else amid our disagreements, where we just sound like blue and red Republicans barking at one another, the world isn't going to see anything different with us. And yeah. I mean, what is that communicating? I love Colossians three twelve to 15. I recently endeavored to memorize this passage, these four verses, where Paul, by the Holy Spirit, tells this church, so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, and forgiving each other, Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Mm. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. That's a good passage. Beautiful. If you got that going on, you think you can disagree without condemning? I think so. I sure hope so. Yeah, I, I love what that that point that you made about uh, the, the the picture to the world about how how we engage one another who disagree communicates something to the world, and I think that's very powerful. I think that's a very powerful testimony of what the grace of God can do in the hearts of fallen, sinful, prideful human beings who really like being right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, God works in the world through the love we have for one another that is on display for them. Pretty mind-blowing stuff there, huh? Amen. Any final thoughts you have on this subject of disagreeing without condemning? No, I think that's... um... Obviously, it's always easier said than done, right? <laughs> that this is this this takes a a commitment. There's the humility. There's the commitment, and then there's it, even practice of you know maybe sometimes we engage and it doesn't go well, and we have to kind of come back and maybe offer apologies for how con- conversations were conducted in the past. But we should give ourselves to it. It's worth the effort. Yeah. So. Yes, indeed. Well, anything else that we need to share today about the podcast, about ourselves, about anything? Uh, I don't know. Um, It's the holiday season. It is the holiday season. A semester ended. uh, The... Uh, preaching through a series on ecclesiology, which I know that's one of those like really exciting topics that everyone is just rushing to YouTube looking for inspiring sermon series on ecclesiology. Not quite, but that's what we're doing, and we're enjoying it. At least I am. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what all the people are doing, but I'm enjoying it. Uh-huh. And I'm looking forward to jumping into the Gospel of Mark in the new year. Um, yeah, it's it's been unseasonably cold here in in southern Indiana. We had some snow. We Very rare for us to have snow before Thanksgiving, and we did. Nice. So, yeah. That's a little bit about what's going on here. Just, uh, that's, I guess, a life update of sorts, but what, what do you got going on over there? We finished preaching through Joshua, did that five or six months, and finishing up November in the Psalms, and then beginning Second Corinthians, my favorite New Testament book. 
Really, oh, really? really, really looking forward to that. I love Second Corinthians so much. Interesting. Yeah. It's just every chapter is just full of all sorts of great theology that I kind of feel like Second Corinthians is one of those little bit neglected books of the New Testament. Yeah, it is. It's the underdog New Testament book that's full of goodness. Yeah. Because it's it's a longer book. It's thirteen chapters. Yeah. And gets neglected. Yeah, like like you're saying, uh, Romans and Hebrews gets all the glory, <laughs> and First Corinthians for all the hard passages. And people but, really like the shorter epistles because they can yeah. march through those in a few months. But I preach through First Corinthians. I've earned the right now to savor Second Corinthians. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I did the hard work. There you so, go. And I'm teaching through systematic theology again uh, in our church, which I love, love doing. One of my favorite things in the world. So cool. Yeah. Yep, and it's uh, the holidays here. Lord willing, this episode will be just a couple days before Thanksgiving, so people listening to this might be traveling around, going to see family. Uh, It's a great time of year. I love this time of year so much. It's the best. Cool. Well, thank you all for listening. We haven't said this for a while, but like, share, subscribe, like oh. all the things. We haven't we haven't really hyped that sort of stuff up. You can reach us, show at dotheology.com is email. We're on social media. We're on Twitter for however long Twitter lasts around. <laughs> for the seven of you that are still listening at this point, please consider leaving a rating or a review somewhere. If you're, yeah. I mean, I guess maybe the, the best way to say this is if you are a Apple, iTunes, whatever they call it now, person, that is a great place to drop a little just star rating. It should be easy to do on your iPhone. Mm-hmm. And that would be huge. I mean, that's just like super duper helpful. So if you could do that, that would just be real sweet. That's like a, a gift to us during this holiday season. So, and... Um, our next episode is an interview with Corey Marsh, I believe, mm, is the yes. next one, on uh, on bi- biblical literacy. Yeah. Very important. He wrote a book about it, and we discussed the content, and it is, biblical literacy, of course, is hugely lacking in our churches and across uh, the world. In, in America, we see the decline of, of literacy has impacted every sector of society. We're paying the price for it, and it's a call to increase our literacy amongst our people again so mm-hmm. yeah worth listening to all right well that's all for today thanks so much for listening and until next time we want you to do theology great i like how uh, you uh after you said do you kind of tipped your microphone and it made it look like you were from my angle it made it look like you were tipping it right to me uh, so that I could speak into your microphone and say, dude. <laughs> Pass the mic. Theology, yeah. <sighs>